Hey, everyone. We recorded most of this show between 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock last night. By the time I left, around 1 in the morning, Adam Schiff was still holding it down on the floor of the Senate. Anyway, we tried to keep it pretty up to date. Here's the show. Hello? Jim! What's up? How you doing? (laughs) This is Jim Newell. Peak Jim Newell, actually. I'm ready to get out of here. I'm ready to go to Iowa. You and the rest of the country. Everyone everyone wants to go to Iowa, exactly. Jim is our senior politics writer here at Slate. And I called him up a few hours after the Senate impeachment trial kicked off in earnest yesterday because I wanted to get a sense of what it was like in there. Jim told me the usual. There's a bunch of traffic, cameras everywhere. But there was something new in the little office that he works out of. There's a brand new uh, metal detector here, which I believe is in the Senate press gallery for the first time in history, um, just making everything a little more difficult. A metal detector? What do they think you're bringing into the Senate gallery? If it was something dangerous, you know, they presumably would have picked that up um, when we entered the Capitol building in the first place, when we went through that metal detector. But I think someone told me, this is my source again, someone told me that maybe they were worried about a recording device being left in the chamber during those closed deliberations. So a listening to, device. A bug. A bug. Yeah, exactly. We might have some detectives up here, um, which is reducing seating space, by the way. It sounds like I'm being petty a little bit, but this metal detector, like, you can't bring any electronics like your phone or your computer into the Senate chamber ever. So if news breaks on the floor, that you can run out of the chamber, send something to your editors or tweet something or whatever, and then run back in and you can sort of wander around the gallery And so now when you have to go through a metal detector each time, it really does limit the flow and I think probably limits the amount of information that people are getting in real time about what's happening. This week, there's all sorts of new stuff in the Senate. New metal detectors, new desks for all the lawyers, and new rules. For the reporters, these rules mean they're being kept away from the legislators as they do their work. The senators, they're still figuring out their rules. Everyone's adjusting. I guess what's really struck me on what's otherwise been sort of a long day of repetitive arguments is just how strange it is to see people not in the Senate making a case to the Senate, to have Adam Schiff in the well of the Senate, sometimes going after Mitch McConnell directly with Mitch McConnell 10 feet in front of him, staring at him. We don't want to talk about the McConnell resolution and how patently unfair it is. We don't want to talk about how how to pardon the expression, ask backwards it is to have a trial and then ask for witnesses. And so we'll attack the House managers because maybe we can distract you for a moment from what's before you. And I was trying to read Mitch McConnell's expression, and, you know, as usual, there's no expression. But I, I just, I can only think about how much he must have been. I mean, he's a real Senate institutionalist. He never served in the House. He doesn't like the House, you know, and how disgusted he must have been <laughs> with having a House manager up there in his Senate, telling him how he's supposed to conduct business. Jim says, usually, the Senate floor is pretty empty. Yeah, you know, I'm, lo- I'm used to the room being four people in there, maybe. <laughs> four senators. And, you know, when McConnell is speaking, Schumer's not in the room. When Schumer's speaking, McConnell's not in the room. You know, that's very choreographed that they're not... Act- Sometimes Schumer will do the thing where he pretends he's looking at McConnell on camera, but 
no one watching knows that Mitch McConnell isn't actually there. <laughs> Hold but, it, that feels so petty. Like, was it always like that, where the Democrats and Republicans were never in the room at the same time? Uh, I don't think it was always like that, no. I mean, some you know, sometimes there's an actual occasional debate, but for the, a chamber that prides itself on its debate, I, I don't recall ever seeing a real debate between people in the Senate chamber. Debate is exactly what's facing the Senate right now. At first, it'll be about the schedule, the evidence, the witnesses. But ultimately, it'll be about the way this trial gets decided. Dahlia Lithwick was up late last night watching all this play out with me. You'll hear what she has to say after the break. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Impeachment kicked off with a debate about rules. The Constitution's a little light on rules when it comes to impeachment, which means Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has got a lot of power here. He makes the rules. On Monday, he had mapped out a schedule of 12-hour days for House impeachment managers and the president's lawyers to make their arguments. That would mean 100 senators silently listening in their seats late into the night for days on end. McConnell also slipped in this provision that could have prevented evidence against the president from being admitted to the record. All of this seemed extreme even to some of McConnell's Republican colleagues. So when the majority leader opened up proceedings on Tuesday afternoon, his rules had changed without warning. 12-hour days were out. They'd been winnowed down to these eight-hour stretches. Evidence the House had already gathered would be automatically admitted. Dahlia Lithwick says... There's a couple of different ways to read the Republican strategy here. You know, there's two versions of this, Mary. One is that these were like bonkers things that were laid out that he was able to quote unquote negotiate about. And, you know, look at look at me. I'm willing to negotiate. I think there was really some hope that there would be no witnesses at all or that after opening statements, you could vote to just get rid of witnesses. So it, it's not clear he had his caucus entirely together in terms of setting these very, very, very draconian rules. Because we should say he showed up Tuesday afternoon for this process to start, and he didn't even present the rules that had been out there for the last 24 hours. He basically had these whole new rules where he said, okay, we're going to go a little slower. And then for the rest of the day, Chuck Schumer just began submitting amendment after amendment, trying to modify the rules even further. And his goal was to find a way to get more evidence and witness testimony. And then you'd see Congress people that Nancy Pelosi had chosen to be impeachment managers get out and sort of make the case for Schumer, right? Yeah, this this was, to me, having watched all day Tuesday, I, I think the, the signal achievement that... Schumer and the Democrats make is that they're just pleading their case. They're under this 
auspices of making process claims about, you know, it would be really much more fair if we could have witnesses. We should have evidence. You know, it it seems that the State Department has promised us a lot of documents we never got. Kind of weird that things have been FOIA'd and we haven't seen them. Under the guise of making those arguments, all day long what we saw was, you know, Val Demings and uh, Zoe Lofgren and Adam These are the Schiff House impeachment managers making the arguments. And I think it's kind of it was just an interesting choice that more or less what we saw all day was if you're not going to give us the evidence, we're going to kind of tell you what it would contain. And so there was a very, very interesting two track thing going on all day. At one level, you had the impeachment man- managers making process arguments. At another level, they were just saying over and over and over again, here's what we know. Everyone knows these things. Don't you want to see it? But also putting the Republicans in kind of a stress position, right? Because originally the idea was Chuck Schumer would bring a couple of amendments and they'd talk about it, but he parceled it out so that the amendments just kept coming in each amendment you can debate for up to two hours. And so you could sense the Democrats saying, how long do you really want to be here? Yeah. And I think it was just a very good reminder. Look, throughout the House process, and you and I talked about this when we talked about what was going on in the House, there was this conflation of process with substance. And, you know, Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan screaming, screaming, screaming about the process. They didn't try to mount a defense of the president. They just said the process wasn't fair, right? All this evil, dastardly, demonic things were happening in this skiff underground. And why don't we know about it? And they said that again today. Yeah, but it's interesting because this was sort of seeing that flipped on its head where what you have – Chuck Schumer doing is saying, actually, the process is the substance. And so we can sit here and debate whether we are entitled to White House witnesses and testimony, whether we are entitled to State Department witnesses and testimony. But while talking about it, just making the merits arguments over and over and over again. And so you're you're right completely that this is an attempt to sort of exhaust and say, Explain to me why you don't want to hear from Mick Mulvaney. Explain to me why, again, you don't want to hear from John Bolton, but also just laying out the case. And if you pan back and think about the fact that most Americans have not been dialed into this, this was an opportunity to make before the merits arguments are being made, merits arguments. So can we just lay out really fast, what are the new documents? What Who are the new witnesses that the Democrats want to bring in? Because so much has come out just over the last month as, you know, we've been in this interstitial place between the House and the Senate. So what are the new things that the Democrats want to bring in now that the trial is happening in the Senate? Well, I think that they are very focused on John Bolton again, in in no small part because John Bolton has in this interstitial time between the House and the Senate process said, oh, oh, I would I would come testify. Uh, but in the Senate. In the Senate. And so I think they are making the case that, dude, he wants to come talk to us. He clearly has stuff to say. He's told us that. Let's have him here. 
uh, but also making the case predicated on a lot of new reporting that happened in The New York Times, Just Security, uh, uh, where they actually found emails. So I think what we're seeing, and not to mention Lev Parnas, right, all the things that happened 10,000 years ago, i.e. a week ago, we now have multiple layers more witness and document evidence that they could not get access to. And what they are saying, there was this kind of cool moment at the end of one of Adam Schiff's closings today where he just said, dude, this is going to come out. It's going to come out by way of FOIA, by way of journalism. It's going to come out because people write books and there are movies. It's coming out. Don't you want to have assessed it and tested it? And I think that... At the rate that things are coming out, there's this sense that you're going to be so embarrassed if you made a very technical procedural argument. This is somehow barred from being admissible in the Senate, and yet everybody knows it. Can we talk about Lev Parnas? Because I think it's debatable how believable he is as a witness. He doesn't have a ton of credibility. He's this Trump donor who became a fixer in Ukraine for and with Rudy Giuliani. But what are some of the things we're learning from the documents that went over to the House and from some of the interviews that Parnas has done? I I mean, I think it is perfectly apt to take everything he says with a grain of salt, right? On the one hand, he's a grifter and a con man. On the other hand, he's Donald Trump's grifter con man, right? He's the same as Michael Cohen. And when Stephanie Grisham and Donald Trump and all these people say, Kellyanne Conway say, oh my God, he's just a grifter and a con man. The better question is, Weird that he was on, you know, Rudy Giuliani's, like, list of most intimate people who were, without any doubt, I think, anymore uh, at his beck and call. So this is the Michael Cohen problem where maybe the larger question is why does Donald Trump surround himself with grifters and conmen and then cut them off when they get caught? Um, And so I want to be really careful about saying, of course, we should— Highly, highly, highly doubt everything he says. Um, he is trying to cop a deal. He does not yet have a deal. He is in huge trouble. Uh, and so we should assume that everything he says he is saying in order to not get in trouble. He's in trouble, we should say, not for the impeachment, right? No, he's in trouble because he is on the hook for these campaign finance uh, violations, uh, same as Igor Furman, right? This is separate and apart from the impeachment. And he's not, as best as I know, to this date, uh, done any kind of deal where he's offering this in, in exchange for leniency. He's in trouble. That said, and I think he made this one point crystal clear on Rachel Maddow last week, why was everybody at the table with him? The only reason that high-ranking Ukrainian officials are sitting down and talking to him is not because he's a nothing grifter. It's because he was conscripted by Rudy Giuliani uh, to speak on behalf of this administration. President Trump knew exactly what was going on. Uh, He was aware of all of my movements. he, I wouldn't do anything without the consent of Rudy Giuliani or the president. I have no intent, I have no reason to speak to any of these officials. I mean, they have no reason to speak to me. And so we take him with a huge grain of salt and with the understanding that he has documentary evidence, right? He has a letter from Rudy Giuliani we had not seen before where Giuliani purporting to act in his capacity as the president's 
personal lawyer, right? This is no longer about the president doing, you know, international diplomacy. This is the president qua president. The refusal to hear from him, the refusal to acknowledge that Rudy Giuliani might have a little something to say about all this is just bonkers. Hmm. Let's talk about the arguments that the president's lawyers were making today. Because a lot of the people on the Democratic side of the argument, we've seen them before, right? You've got Adam Schiff. He spoke a lot today and tonight, and he's pretty familiar. But the lawyers at the table for the president, those are people that you may have just seen their letterhead, (laughs) essentially. You know, the first person to speak was Pat Cipollone. It's interesting because earlier in the day, the Democrats had basically made the argument you're a witness to whatever's happened here. But still, he's getting up and representing the president. Then you have Jay Sekulow. What do we need to know about these characters who are sort of making the president's case for him and what they're saying? I I mean, I think the flip answer is the Media Matters answer, which is that there are 300 and some appearances on Fox News in the last year uh, in the aggregate by all of these Trump lawyers, right? So there is some reason to suspect that Ken Starr and Alan Dershowitz and Pat Cipollone and Jay Sekulow are first and foremost TV lawyers, right? And that's what it felt like when they got up. It really felt like you were watching Fox News, but somehow on the Senate floor. Right. And I think one would be careless not to note that whatever you think of the actual case being advanced today, Adam Schiff is making legal arguments. It seems like Pat Cipollone and Jay Sekulow and uh, Pat Philbin are just doing like weird Fox talking points. There's a lot of attacking the managers, the impeachment managers, a lot of attacking the House Democrats. Very little sort of deep constitutional analysis or legal analysis. No defense of the president other than kind of smearing the process. I think there's a way in which Trump's lawyers were not prepared. And it it felt as though... Well, they didn't seem to care. It it felt as though if you had had a couple days to pull together a defense, it wouldn't have looked like this, right? It wouldn't have looked like, hey, I'm Pat Cipollone. I'm standing up for two minutes and then sitting down. You know, I got nothing. Adam Schiff has, you know, 45 minutes of substance. I got a couple of pot shots I'm going to take. So there was a weird, just complete, uh, somebody described it as a mauling on Twitter. It felt as though, just try, pretend like you care. And and there was a way in which they knew, right? This is the Mitch McConnell problem. We don't have to care. We are in complete coordination and we have the votes. So as we speak, senators are still talking about various amendments. Each of these amendments has been voted down by 53 Republican senators, including Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, the people who we'd been talking about as possible swing voters here. For Democrats, what does it mean that these amendments just keep being voted down? Look, the end game for Mitt Romney, for Cory Gardner, for Lamar Alexander and Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins is how do I get through this thing and have it look as though I had a hugely open mind and at the same time give Mitch McConnell what he wants and Trump's base what he wants. That's the – I don't think – Anyone doubts that that's the game. 
I'm not even sure there's one or two uh, Senate Republicans who really, truly are committed to the idea that I go into this with an open mind. So am I hugely surprised that thus far these have been party line votes? No, because I think it at some level looks entirely plausible to say we're just going to vote to hear witnesses later and to get evidence later. I think the better question is why? What What is it about later that's better than now? And I think that if I were making the argument that witnesses are good, but witnesses after this is almost over are better, then I would need to have a very, very good argument for why I don't want to hear from those witnesses. And that argument right now looks like it's running out the clock. And really then the question is, in a week, when there is the opportunity to take a vote and say, no, we still really just don't want any evidence for the first time, right? It will be the first impeachment trial in history with no evidence, no witnesses. Then the question is, can you get away with it because people are checked out or bored or because uh, they've just been roped over for so long that they want this to end? If I were making sort of the the evidentiary or the sort of normative argument for why I think it makes sense to just kick this down the road, it's because they're hoping that people check out. What you're laying out is senators, both sides, just trying to exhaust each other. You have Chuck Schumer, amendment after amendment, no sign it's going to (laughs) end. You have the Republicans also trying to exhaust the American people, really. One of them has already been caught napping on the floor. They're exhausting themselves. I I guess. I mean, I think the difference for me is that I can't plausibly construct a reason to not have evidence. I can construct, if I am forced to at knife point, a process argument, you know, the kind of it's too early, it's too late, I don't know. But I can't construct an argument for why you would not, in a thing that is styled as a trial, want to hear from witnesses, and particularly the witnesses that the White House has withheld for no reason that could be exculpatory for the White House. So let's let's hear, right, what, what Rick Perry has to say. Uh, so I think it's, it's trying to sort of blunt, 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 sort of sand away at that just general impulse. Seventy percent of Americans at this moment, I think, 74, want to hear witnesses, it's just sanding that down until it goes away. And the only way to do that is through exhaustion, right? Maybe I won't want to hear from witnesses in two weeks when I haven't bathed. But I think for right now, the 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 thing that I guess this is my cynical view of your question. The thing that Republicans are trying to do is exhaust people, yes. And also to weirdly enroll people in obstructing justice, right? Like, hey, we're obstructing too. And we could all come together to just not know the facts. And I think that what the Democrats are trying to do is say, this is what witnesses would say, and you're choosing not to hear them. And that's not exhaustion. It's an attempt to... Break through. Break through. And like, right, there's a a differential. In some sense, I think Republicans are trying to get you to not care. And Democrats are trying to say, even if nobody cares, this happened. Hmm. So tomorrow the trial continues, and we should lay out what the next few days look like. 
because, as you said, they're going to get a chance to talk again about witnesses. But first, for the next three days, Democrats are going to present their case against the president eight hours a day. Then we'll have Republican lawyers defending the president for three days if they use that whole time. In between there, they'll take a Sunday off to sort of have a little break. And then the senators will be able to submit questions. And they'll do that by passing notes to John Roberts, right? They all have to be silent. Yeah, it's so funny. It's 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 like sixth grade. Checkbox. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to demand witnesses? Checkbox, if yes. Yeah, no, it's one of the very, very weird oddities of this is that the biggest pool of grandstanders in the world will not get to grandstand. They're going to have to send notes to the chief justice who will read the questions. Um, the questions will presumably... Uh, be answered. And then after the sort of questioning process, I think there is this hugely consequential off-ramp, which is, are we going to hear evidence? Are we going to require documents? Or are we out? And that's going to be, as the kids say, the inflection point. So it sounds like the Senate's going to have to decide in like a week what they do about witnesses. They're basically putting it off by voting down all of these amendments from Chuck Schumer. But there's this new idea of some kind of witness trade between the GOP and the Democrats. So you'd have the Democrats saying, sure, you can bring Hunter Biden up here and and talk to him. But we really want to talk to John Bolton. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, this was this notion of witness reciprocity. I think Ted Cruz started threatening it um, last week and saying, you know, fine, if you want your witnesses you know, Mr. Burns' fingers, <laughs> we'll call ours. And I think that the Democrats initially thought that's insane. There is nothing to which Hunter Biden can be a fact witness in this and simply calling him because it adds to the chum in the water <laughs> doesn't help. And I think there's at least some thinking, uh, at least effective 9 o'clock uh, Tuesday night, that maybe Democrats... If the alternative is zero witnesses, could accede to some version of, fine, we'll do reciprocity in exchange for which we get our witnesses. And I think that this is more fraught with peril for Mitch McConnell than it is, I think, for the House impeachment managers, because Hunter Biden, I think we can all agree, just there's not a lot he can add to this conversation. Well, it does do one thing, though, which is it ties the Senate up. And it ties up all these presidential candidates. You know, I mean, they have to sit there and listen six days a week. So it's the kind of thing that I could see. I could see a trade making sense for both sides, but it's kind of like mutually assured destruction. Yeah, again, I guess my feeling is I really want to hear from John Bolton. I really want to hear from Mick Mulvaney. I would kind of give a kidney to hear from Rudy Giuliani. And so if the downside to that is tying this up for a couple more days, by the way, then dragging this into the State of the Union uh, February 4th, then I, I could live with that. Of course, I'm not running for president, and so it's less skin off my nose. But I do think that there is going to, if this is in fact really in the ether, 
Uh, the the upside of hearing from witnesses who, under oath, would have to testify for the first time about conversations they had or they overheard, uh, that may be worth it. I mean, maybe it's worth just remembering as your touchstone the reason the White House has not allowed any of these people to testify is they were all in on conversations that we already have witness testimony about what happened. Dahlia Lithwick, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Dahlia Lithwick covers Washington and the courts for Slate. And that's the show. Couple of things before we go. First off, Jim Newell, who you heard at the top, he writes the best presidential politics newsletter out there. Really, it's called The Surge. You should go subscribe immediately. Do it at slate.com slash the surge. And a quick programming note. For the next little bit, on Mondays, we'll do an impeachment show. It'll sum up everything that's happened over the last week. So stay tuned for that. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Daniel Hewitt, and tonight, special thanks to Jason DeLeon and Mara Silvers, like John Roberts and Dahlia Lithwick and me. These two were up very late. I'm Mary Harris. I will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> 